Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Rich Divini today. Rich is a retired Navy SEAL commander. And let me just tell you, he is unbelievable, unreal. This is a phenomenal interview. And there's so much value that you can really apply to your life immediately. And you can take your life to the next level. And it's really through understanding your attributes. It's really understanding the underlying driving forces that really drive your optimal performance. And it's not always about being a peak performer, just a little hint. We're going to talk about how to optimize your performance for the long haul. So you're definitely going to want to tune in. You're definitely going to want to listen close. Are you ready to take it to another level? I have no doubt that we're going to do it today. We're going to take it to the next level and beyond. I want to welcome you back to the show where we sit down for mind expanding conversations with influential authorities in real estate, as well as top experts in other industries and disciplines. By the way, a Navy SEAL commander is here today, and you want to talk about best of the best in the world, across the planet of all time, really. This is for leaders, entrepreneurs, and real estate investors who have a burning desire for the extraordinary. If you're enjoying Elevate, we just want to thank you so much for being here. We want to thank you so much for listening, for sharing, and uh, for really you know, helping us spread the message that you do not have to live a life that you just tolerate. You can actually live a life of fulfillment, of abundance, of joy, through committing to your own personal growth, through committing to your own personal mastery, through understanding your mindset, through understanding your neurobiology, your neuroscience and your personality and how you show up and how you interact with other people and how you optimize your own performance, as well as perhaps how you apply that to building a real estate portfolio, which can give you, you know, a, a practical means towards living a life of freedom, right? A freedom of time, a freedom of financial freedom of you know, geographical freedom and all the beautiful things that real estate can practically give you to your life. So if you can apply those two forces, there is nothing that you cannot accomplish within your life. So we are grateful to be able to continue to raise the bar within Elevate, and we want to challenge you to do the same. And so with all that said, I want to dive in to today's episode with Rich Divini, who is a retired Navy SEAL commander. In a career spanning more than 20 years, he completed more than 13 overseas deployments, 11 of which were to Iraq and Afghanistan. As the officer in charge of training for a specialized command, Rich was intimately involved in an extremely specialized SEAL selection process, which whittles a group of exceptional candidates down to a small cadre of the most elite optimal performers. Divini also spearheaded the creation of a directorate that fused physical, mental, and emotional disciplines. He led his small team to create their first ever mind gym, that helped special operators train their brains to perform faster, longer, and better in all environments, especially high-stress ones. So can you imagine how important and how applicable this can be for you, right? Because high-stress environments, that exists, right? If we're going to play at the highest levels, guess what? High-stress can come along with that. So let's pay attention to what Rich can help us with and, and really his his insights and his understandings. But since his re retirement in early 2017, Divini has worked as a speaker, facilitator, and a consultant with the Chapman & Co. Leadership Institute and Simon Sinek, Inc. He's taught about leadership, optimal performance, and high-performing teams to more than 5,000 businesses, athletic, and military leaders from organizations such as American Airlines, Meyer Inc., 
the San Francisco 49ers, Pegasystems, Zoom, and Deloitte. In January 2021, Rich released his first book, which is The Attributes, The 25 Hidden Drivers of Optimal Performance. So with all that said, I want to invite you to strap up, buckle in, and enjoy this phenomenal conversation with the great Rich Divini. Rich, welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Thank you, Tyler. It's great to be here. Doing great. Oh, it's my pleasure to have you. It's an absolute honor to have you. And, um, you know, it was great catching up with you right before the show. You just, you're such a down to earth individual, someone who, you know, really strikes me as someone who's here to serve others. And um, obviously you've been doing that for decades. So th first of all, thank you for your service. But second of all, you know, welcome to Elevate and, and tell us a little bit more. If you were to describe yourself in the way that maybe your spouse does or your close friends does, how would they describe Rich Divini? Oh gosh, that's a that's a great way to put that question. Um, uh, let's see. I would say, I would say my my spouse, my wife, my friends would probably describe me as someone who um, who likes to think deeply about things, who can be very introspective and um, and enjoys the 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 project of getting down to some atomic levels of of concepts and information. Um, definitely more cerebral than I am physical <laughs> and always have been even in the SEAL teams. I was that way, I think. Um, and I was an officer, so that was actually okay because, because based on my position and my job, it, it, it helped that I was that way. So, um, so yeah, I just, I'm in, and I, and I really enjoy and, um, and am really uh, passionate about, uh, human potential and, and where and how far we can go. Right. And, and, and really more about kind of exploring that because potential is by definition, always in front of us. We, we never, we're never there. Right. It's, it's always about marching out to one's edge or one's horizon. And then, um, once there you, you, the new horizon appears, right. So there's always a new edge. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that too. I'm fascinated by it as well. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I started this podcast is really to explore that human potential and to really, you know, tap into our limitless potential. I believe we're all limitless. I believe we all have, you know, capacities of greatness within us. And I know that you believe that as well. And obviously, you know, it's not all the same, right? My greatness is not the same as yours, but I appreciate, you know, the introspection and the deep thinking and being cerebral because, you know, your insights uh, really have brought a new paradigm to what it takes to really thrive and create a life of fulfillment and success and whatever that means for, for, you know, unique individuals. But I, I'd be curious, I mean, as a, as a former Navy SEAL commander, I mean, do you remember the moment that you decided that you wanted to go after becoming a Navy SEAL? I'm just curious. <laughs> hey, well, um, you know, it could, could you distill it down to a single moment? I'm not sure. I, I grew up wanting to be a Navy pilot. I, I have an identical twin brother um, and he and I and an older sister and a younger brother as well. But my dad was a private pilot. So he used to take us flying and my, my twin brother and I were sold from the beginning. We just like, we loved flying. One of our cousins who was, who was, uh, older than us was uh, had joined the Navy and was a pilot and we're like okay well the Navy pilots they they land on ships that has to be awesome right and, you know what's what's harder than that and of course this was before Top Gun and then the Top Gun came out and and man it was over it was like all about Navy Navy Air and it was after the it was after the first Gulf War which was in the 90s um, 1990 and uh, I, I saw an article I learned what the seals were I learned about who they were and what they did and and I started to get intrigued because I said these guys who do they kind of do everything. They're in the snow, they're in the jungle, they're in the they're skydiving, they're underwater, which I loved. I I, I grew up in Connecticut on the beach. I loved everything about being in the water and underwater. So that really intrigued me. And um and when I went to Purdue, I was in Navy RTC and 
and um, and ultimately said to myself, you know, I, I know I could be a pilot. I know I can do that. Um, but I wanted to see if I could be a Navy SEAL. I didn't I never wanted to be a pilot and look out at a bunch of SEAL guys and say, I wonder if I could do that. <laughs> so uh, so that's what I did. I, I went for that and um, and, it, and it worked out, fortunately. No, that's awesome. And uh, I just find it to be fascinating because obviously, you know, every accomplishment or every reality in our lives, you know, start at one time as, you know, a desire or a dream or, you know, some sort of thought process. And I just find it to be fascinating, perhaps where that came from. And obviously there's a, there's maybe a, a deep desire in some directions. And obviously, you know, who knows if that was in one moment, but I think that's really fascinating. One thing that I find to be fascinating about the, you know, how you shared your experiences from, you know, being a Navy SEAL to being a, a, a commander is your the selection process with which you were able to identify future candidates for the Navy SEALs. And, and, and you mentioned, you know, identifying those who you would have anticipated being, all right, these, are, these guys are going to be the best of the best. They're going to sail, sail through, I'm sorry, sail through the yeah, SEAL no process, perhaps. Yeah, no, no pun intended. And then the others who you're like, there's no way these guys are going to make it but perhaps that flipped on itself at some point. So could you describe a little bit of your experience there and maybe how that led you down the path of identifying attributes as really the underlying factors there? Yeah, absolutely. And by the time I was doing that, I was in fact running a SEAL selection course for one of our very specialized SEAL commands. So it wasn't the basic SEAL training. And um, and at this command in particular, we were taking very experienced guys and putting them through our own selection and getting about a 50% attrition rate. And, um, and by that time in my career, I mean, I've, I've been a SEAL for what, uh, 14, 15 years at that point. So I, I had, I had no, uh, preconceived opinions or judgments on people because when you're that, when you're a SEAL for that long, you realize you can't predict who's going to make it through, especially basic SEAL training. You know, it's like, Oh, do you think I'll make it through? I was like, well, odds are you're not right. But you know, you can't predict it. What was our problem in our specific courses, we were having trouble articulating why guys weren't making it through because these are some of the top dudes, you know, coming from their commands to come to try out for our command and they weren't making it through. And our only explanations seemed to be focused around uh, these skills based assessments. This guy couldn't shoot very well. He couldn't move in the house very well. He couldn't skydive, whatever. And that didn't make sense because these guys were experienced. They had all the requisite skills and on paper, they seemed great. And so what I had to do was I had to kind of go back to our roots. And I looked at basic SEAL training, which for your audience members, it's BUDS, basic underwater slash, uh, basic underwater demolition slash SEAL training. And that's out in San Diego. That's where a Navy, a new person to the Navy officer enlisted goes through the six month course and out comes out, you know, comes out a Navy SEAL. Very, very, uh, some of the toughest training on the planet. It's um, the attrition rates uh, somewhere around 89 90%. So for example, my class started with 160 some odd people and we graduated 38. Okay. That's, that's normal numbers. And, um, and the coup de gras during that, uh, during that training is hell week where you start on a Sunday afternoon and you basically go until the following Friday and you sleep maybe two hours for the entire week. And they're, they're just, they're crushing you. I mean, you're doing, you're carrying heavy boats, you're PT you're, you're freezing, you're cold, you're doing a bunch of stuff. You get most of your quits during that. And I had to think, I said to myself, you know, during that, during BUDS, I spent hundreds of hours uh, carrying heavy boats on my head. I spent hundreds of hours exercising with 300 pound telephone poles and running around with those things on my shoulders and freezing in the surf zone. And as I looked at my career, I, you know, I've done hundreds of combat missions in Iraq and Afghanistan. I've done thousands of training evolutions and never on one of them did I carry a boat on my head or a telephone pole on my shoulder, right? So, 
So what they were doing to us in that training was not training us to be Navy SEALs. It wasn't training us to, to with the skills to be Navy SEALs. What they were doing, they were throwing us in environments that teased out certain innate qualities, these attributes that said, could we, that really told them, did we, you know, could we do the job? Not if we knew how to do the job. And that distinction is very important. The, the can you do the job versus how to do the job. And I had to carry that back to what I was, the training I was running and say, listen, we are, we're going to be able to articulate this better if we start articulating it based on the attributes we're looking for. What are those innate qualities that are telling us what we want to tell us about these guys so that we can say, hey, then say, hey, you don't have these specific, or you don't have enough of these specific attributes. And then I, you know, so that was the SEAL world, but then I got out of the military and started talking about high-performing teams and to businesses and, and leaders. And, and the common question was, hey, Rich, we're forming up these dream teams, you know, best best salesperson, best graphics designer, best marketing, best lawyer, whatever it is. And when when the team go, the team is fine for, for, for a short period, but as soon as challenge, uncertainty, and strife hit, it falls apart. It's to, you know, it, it turns toxic. And they said, what, what's going on? I said, well, you're, you're, you're assessing your teams based on the wrong things. You're looking at skills and you're not looking at attributes. Attributes are actually what tell us more about how people handle uncertainty. And I think it's really important because, I mean, can you imagine a life or a business without stress, you know, challenge or uncertainty? I mean, I, I don't think I can, but I don't think I, they, I don't think it exists, Tyler. I I just think exist. it, well, that's why it's so important is because, yeah. you know, you're talking about real application, right? Because yeah. we can go read about, you know, something or we can go take a course or we can go, you know, study a subject and gain a skill. But do we have the attributes to be resilient, you know, to have grit to overcome? And so, you know, could you talk a little bit more about sort of the, the I guess, the, the underlying forces that are at play here in terms of showing what really separated those that, you know, 11% of the people that come through SEALs actually make it? Uh, and, right. and maybe I'm maybe I'm understanding that correctly, but could you talk a little bit about what you identified those separators in terms of attributes to be? Well, yeah. I mean, the first thing is just kind of level the bubble on on the difference between skills and attributes, right? Skills are not inherent to our nature, okay? None of us are born with the ability to ride a bike or throw a ball or in the Navy SEAL case, shoot a gun. Those are things that we can be trained to do and we can learn and uh, pick up along the way. They also, t they also direct our behavior in known and specific environments. Here's how and when to drive a car. Here's how and when to, when to shoot a gun or ride a bike or throw a ball. Because they're kind of visible and they're specific, they're also very easy to assess, measure, and test. You can see how well anybody does any one of those things, which is why teams and organizations often get seduced by skills in any selection process. Because I can see how well on paper, how well someone can do something, or I see how well someone conducts a skill. The problem with skills is it doesn't tell us how we're going to show up when things get, get uncertain and challenging and unknown because it's very difficult, if not impossible, to apply a known skill to an unknown environment, right? When in the environment turns unknown, uncertain, and stress starts to, 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 to set in, we start leaning on attributes. Attributes are innate, okay? We're all born with levels of adaptability, of perseverance, of, of, uh, of you know, resilience, okay? Um, now, certainly they, they certainly develop over time, and environment helps that, but we're all, you can see levels of this stuff in small children, okay? Attributes inform our behavior rather than direct our behavior. In other words, they tell us how we're going to show up to a situation. My son's levels of resilience and perseverance informed me as to how he was going to show up and how he did show up when he was learning how to ride a bike and he was falling off a dozen times doing so. Because they're hidden in the background, they're not as visible, 
um, they're very tough to assess, measure, and test, right? You can't sit across an interview table with someone and assess their adaptability or assess their patience, okay? Um, they are the most visible and the most visceral during times of in environments of challenge, uncertainty, and stress, which made my environment of SEAL training so perfect. It was a perfect laboratory because everything about SEAL training is about throwing guys into challenge, uncertainty, and stress. And so uh, so we have to understand that if we want teams and organizations, even as, as, as regular people, if we want to understand our behavior um, when things get really tough, right? And I'm really into kind of, like I said, the atomic level things that, you know, take things down to an atomic level of an elemental behaviors, okay? Who are we in the toughest moments? Because we've all said, I mean, that's the real you shows up, right? Well, okay, <laughs> who's the real you? And the real you, the real I, is not, it's not necessarily my skills, it's my attributes, which 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 then combine to create this larger thing where you combine it with personality and values and beliefs, so you create this character and, and things like that. But, but the elemental things are these attributes, and that's why it's so important for us to start looking at them to start better knowing, understanding our performance and to start understanding what our teams and businesses and organizations actually need, because no one's, nothing's ever going to go the, the, you know, the best way all the time, right? Things are always going to go sideways. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital and you know how much I love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life, which is really why we created CF Capital, a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety for our investors, for our partners, and for the people that we serve. Our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together through this process. And I wanna invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook that's called the bottom line, the 10 ways to increase cash flow in an apartment complex. And I wanna tell you that this is a value packed ebook. So I wanna to, want to invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're gonna get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com and enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of what Mike Tyson said, I think 20, 25 years ago, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> right. And I, I quote Mike Tyson in the book and uh, I think it's the adaptability chapter um, because that's exactly right. Yeah. We, we, it, plans always change and it's, it's a, it's the difference between a complex and a complicated environment. Okay. Complicated environment. There could be a lot of things going on in a complicated environment, but it's all predictable. Okay. It's a, kind of like, if you think about complex versus complicated machines. Uh, a, a complicated machine is a race car. I think of a, a NASCAR or, or Formula One. It's, a, it's, it's made up of thousands upon hundreds of thousands of parts, okay? But everything about that machine is predictable, okay? Highly complicated, but very predictable, okay? Um, complex is unpredictable, okay? The human body, for example, is a complex system, right? It's created of millions of different parts and cells and, or and organs and things like that. Um, but we don't necessarily know in, in, semi in many cases how the human body is gonna react. Our, our, our body reacts and adapts in ways that sometimes are highly unpredictable, okay? Um, and so 
environments are the same way. If we want teams and organizations, if we want to perform in complex environments, okay, which most environments are, it's very hard to get into a, you know, sports, certain sports environments I would define as complicated. Like in a football field, on a football game, that is an environment that's complicated, but it's highly predictable, okay? Life is not that way. Um, and so we need to understand our attributes because attributes is what we, are what we lean on in complex environments. No, that's so powerful. And I think about, you know, real estate investors or even just investors in general or entrepreneurs in general, the marketplace is, you know, complex, as complex and unpredictable yeah. as you can imagine. So let's lean on the attributes and let's facilitate growth in attributes or have an awareness, right, of where we're showing up. And then let's put in some, play, you know, some pieces so that we can grow and perhaps facilitate an environment to where our team can grow and strengthen their attributes. So you talked about the categories being grit, drive, team ability, mental acuity, and leadership. You know, where would you like to go from there in terms of really diving into how we can achieve optimal performance rather than just focusing on the, you know, this phrase that everyone talks about so frequently? And I've been, you know, I've also been uh, guilty of this myself is talking about peak performance, but I love your distinction there. But let's talk about the categories and then we'll, we'll talk about that distinction as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to give you, a, you know, uh, just to kind of hammer home a point you made. So my wife's a real estate agent. And so she knows the real estate market and the real estate market, especially. I mean, we talk about an environment. I mean, the real estate market, yes, it's about property, but ultimately it's about dealing with people. And you can't you cannot go into that environment. Sure, you need to know the skills of everything that goes into a real estate investment or purchase, which you know usually involves laws and boundaries and, and things like that. Um, but uh, but when you go into a, a, a deal, Right, that is highly unpredictable because you're dealing with humans, human behavior, and whenever 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 you have two humans or more than more than one human interacting, it's going to get complex, right? <laughs> because so many things go into that. So so yeah, especially in the real estate um, market, I think attributes are so uh, apropos. Um, well, let me just add on that real quick because I think it's really really important because you think about like how the market dynamics shift. It is all about, you know, a macro scale of human decisions, right? Mm -hmm. And they're unpredictable. Yeah. They're complex. Yeah. And I yeah. just find it to be really fascinating. So how do we lean into attributes rather than just saying, well, I did the financial analysis and I made the decisions based on the facts that I had. But guess what? It's a moving target. So how do we lean into our attributes? I think that was a powerful share. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and so so the, the categories uh, speak to this because I, and the, and again, so when I was writing the book, I didn't have the categories when I actually started writing the book. The categories seemed to they they materialized as I was writing, which was cool because it really kind of clumped them in into understandable ways. And so what I did was I was able to clump these into five categories. Now, again, attributes, they they they're not specifically they're not locked into these categories. I mean, they, they actually interplay more than this, but it just helps us kind of think about them. So the category number one is grit. So what are the attributes that make up grit? All right, grit often has been talked about as an attribute on its own, but it's not, okay? Grit is a combination of things. It's not just one thing, it's a combination of things kind of blended and baked and catalyzed. Um, and the attributes that make up grit um, in the book that I kind of sussed out were courage, perseverance, adaptability, and resilience, okay? So that was that's the grit category. Um, and we can we can dive into any one of those as we, as we move down the road. Um, the next category is mental acuity. The mental acuity attributes describes how we process our environment. Okay, and it's really it's a very neurological. Um, those four attributes are very intertwined because they kind of work in tandem with each other. Um, situation awareness is the first one. How we how we absorb information coming into our system from all around us. Compartmentalization. Once that information is absorbed, how do we assess it? How do we prioritize it? And then what do we focus on? Um, and task switching, which is once we're focused, okay, how are we? How effective 
effective are we at swipping, swatching, uh, switching focus, okay? Because we don't, multitasking as we know is a myth, okay? So we, we're actually not multitasking, we're actually just hopping contexts and categories with our focus. We're deciding how, you know, what to focus on. So task switching is our ability to effectively and efficiently do that. Some are much better than that than others. Um, and then learnability. After all of that, how well are we absorbing that information, uh, processing it, and then able to effectively use that 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 what we've that, that which we've learned? Okay, um, those people who are high on learnability, you often only have to tell them something once, and they got it right. Those who are a little lower, like myself, I have to I have to be told a few times, and I sometimes repeat the same mistake. I, I make the same mistake twice, right? Did your wife make you say that? Did your wife make you say that? No, no, no. I <laughs> I realized that um, I realized that when I was um, when I was in SEAL training. In fact, I'm glad I did because I had to adjust myself so that I would effectively learn. Because if you if you don't know that about yourself, it's going to be tough, right? So so that's mental acuity. The drive attributes um, speak to uh, the ability for someone to kind of create and achieve long-term goals. Okay, so different from grit. Grit would be more talking about like pushing through that kind of short-term, gutting it out, pushing through, kind of making thing happen, something happen. Drive is like, okay, what's the long-term goal? Okay, and and how do I how do I understand how do I effectively make one and understand how to get there? And and what's what are those elements that allow me to get there? Those are self-efficacy discipline, open-mindedness, cunning, and then narcissism. And I know those last two are a little bit pejorative. We can dive into those if we want, but they are drivers. Um, yeah, I do think it's really fascinating that narcissism is a part of that. I mean, yeah. you know, you think of it, uh, you know, in today's day and age, we talk about empathy and compassion and, you know, having, a, you know, a thought of others, you know, while you're making decisions. But I do think it's fascinating. And, and this is really kind of a self-awareness piece. It's like, where are you showing up, right? But recognizing that this can be a driver in you know the overall category of drive i think is really important i i, I totally agree and I, i'm really i'm again I'm, because i'm so interested in going to the elementalness of things narcissism is a human thing and and i when i started thinking about it i realized you know this is something that all of us experience when i asked myself you know okay what's the reason why i wanted to be a navy seal ultimately all right sure i was a patriot sure i wanted to serve my country but i wanted to be a badass i wanted to see if i could do something that very few people could do and guess what my buddies were the same way um that is a little bit of narcissism speaking and if it's effectively uh um metabolized and and kind of um made to work for you in your favor, uh, you can you can use it as an incredible driver. This is why and how people set audacious goals. Interestingly enough, this is neurological and neurobiological because when we are infants getting paid attention to by our parents, we're getting surges of three chemicals, the neurotransmitter dopamine, which means, you know, this is feel good. This feels good. Keep going. Uh, serotonin, also a neurotransmitter. This is kind of a, 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 a chemical that allows us to feel almost almost safe and taken care of and protected. Um, and then oxytocin, which is known as the love hormone, right? It, it, it basically binds and bonds us, right? We're getting all three of those and we're getting paid attention to and adored by our parents as little kids. Well, this doesn't change when we're adults, okay? It feels good to stand out once in a while. All of us as adults want to feel special once in a while, be, be paid attention to, know that we are valued, okay? That is, that's a little bit of the neurotransmitters and the chemicals of narcissism seeping through. So you just have to understand what it is. Can't go overboard because narcissistic personality disorder is dangerous and it's a bad thing. Um, but a little bit of kind of, Hey, I, I, I want to stand out and this is why I'm going to do it helps us in our drive. So, so yeah, it's, it's an important one. Yeah. I think it's important too. And I mean, you think about, you know, a lot of people are driven by, Hey, I want to make an impact. 
And ultimately, when you really get to the story behind the story or beneath the story, it's really because you want to have the feelings of, you know, I was significant to someone else. That's right. And I think that's really important to really have that awareness. Would you agree, Rich? I, I totally. I mean, significance is 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 known as one of the human needs, right? I mean, and significance is driven by a little bit of narcissism. But here's the thing about narcissism. We have to be careful because uh, too much is it's like a vampire staring in the mirror. OK, it's impossible, almost impossible to see our see in ourselves. So it can seep us, seep into us and seep into our behavior sometimes without us knowing it. This is why we have to pay attention to those around us and the people we surround ourselves with. All right. If we surround ourselves with people who are honest and love us and trust us and we have and we trust them and give us the real feedback that we that we require, even if it's bad, um, then we are inoculating ourselves because they are the people who will say, hey, Rich, your head is getting a little bit big. Dial it back a little bit. You're, you know, you're getting too big for your britches. This is my wife. Right. <laughs> I mean, she does this for me and my teammates when I was in the teams. All right. The the narcissist who um, who is overboard typically will surround themselves with sycophants, tight groups of people who only who make who make them the center of attention and who uh, are very transient because you can't you can't kind of give that deference for too long. So so those those tribes typically change out pretty rapidly. And when they do, typically the person who leaves gets vilified by that very the 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 narcissist because it, it seems like a betrayal. Right. So so you can tell. Uh, you can tell the true, like the, the detrimental narcissist by the people they hang out with. Um, and if you are worried, if you're a narcissist, look at the people you hang out with. If you, if you are always the center of attention, you don't have people telling you the truth, the real honest truth, and you're, and, and kind of making you feel small sometimes you may want to, <laughs> you may want to check yourself. So, so maybe you almost balance that with open-mindedness and resilience and being willing to consider that, Hey, I'm not always right. Right. I don't always have yeah. the right answers and I'm not always the king of the world, so to speak. Well, and we get into the team ability. So, so the team ability is only, so, le- so let me go through the leadership attributes uh, first, because the leadership attributes are really behaviors. And when it comes to leadership, this is another misconception that people have. They confuse being in charge with being a leader. Okay, those are not the same thing. One is a noun and one is a verb. All right, leadership is a behavior, not a position. Okay, and and you don't get to call yourself a leader. You can't self-designate. That'd be like calling yourself good-looking or funny. Okay, you don't get to decide that. Um, Other people decide whether or not they look at you or consider you a leader, and they do that based on the way you behave. And so these five attributes speak to the behaviors of great leaders. Those are um, empathy, selflessness authenticity, decisiveness, and, um, and accountability. All right. Those behaviors will oftentimes lead others to look at you and consider you a leader. When it comes to team ability, it's the same thing. Okay. You don't get to call yourself a great teammate or your teammates call yourself a great, call you a teammate. Um, those ones are important because we, now we're talking about integrity, which is do the right thing in context of the group in, t- in terms of what, what the group defines as, as the right thing. Cause that changes, do the right thing in a seal platoon, might be different than do the right thing in a group of Cub Scouts or a group of priests or whatever, right? Um, so it has to be in contact with the group conscientiousness. Um, and again, that's that's you know work hard, be reliable, be um, diligent. Okay, those that's pretty self-explanatory. But here's the one that we just kind of touched on, and that's humility. Okay, humility is important in a team environment. So this is where when you talk about being around others. 
are you humble enough? And again, humble, some, humility sometimes comes with a stigma, like, you know, of deference and of, of feeling you're, feel you're not as good as others, right? No, it's really the ability to understand that I always have something to learn, okay? I always, I'm never, it's always a journey. And, and someone, almost every person out there can teach me something, okay? That's humility. Um, and we know you, you can actually have, you can be somewhat um, arrogant, <laughs> right? Um, or, or I should say, you can be some, you can, you can, I know people who have huge egos, right? But they're also very humble, <laughs> right? Because yeah, they, because yeah. they, they have huge egos, but they also know, hey, I, I, I always have something to learn. And you never think of those people as arrogant. Okay. Yeah. They have great egos, but they're not arrogant. Um, and so there's, there's a balance there. So narcissism can be balanced by understanding humility and, um, and understanding that you have a lot to learn. And this is what I found I did. I ended up realizing this is what I kept on doing. I kept on surrounding myself with people who I felt were way better than me um, because I, every time I did, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I have to live up to these people. I have to kind of step up my game and it, and it allowed me to continually stay humble, but it was in, it was in, it was in, in context or in, in support of the overall goal of becoming a great Navy SEAL, right? Um, which was founded on a little bit of narcissism. So there's, so there's humility in there too. And I think if you balance the both, you can. Um, the last one in team ability is humor. Vastly important in any high-performing team. Um, I've never met a high-performing team that hasn't had at least one class clown, you know, usually two. And that, that person is the person who can always make the group laugh when things are really bad. Um, so humor is required by all of us if we want to really survive. Um, we don't have to be the class clown. In other words, we don't have to be the one making the jokes, but we should be able to laugh <laughs> at them <laughs> right. um, because laughing is so powerful, uh, but, you, know, you know, neurobiologically and chemically, just one of the most powerful things we can do for ourselves. I think there's so much value there. And, you know, one of the ones that, you know, the, the attribute that I find to be one of the more important, in my opinion, is the humility aspect you were just describing. Just because, you know, the, the, the winds of change continue to accelerate in our world and, you know, in the real estate market, in the financial markets, in our economy, in our society, in the way that we do business. I mean, obviously, 2020 was a prime example of acceleration of change. And I think we all have to be humble, no matter how far we've gotten or how much we've done or how much we've accomplished. In my opinion, if you want to be successful from here on out in developing a life and designing a life, it's about being humble. Would you agree to that? And I, I really feel like that one really sticks out to a large degree. And I do want to come back to the humor, but do you agree with that, Rich? I do, because I think humility is actually a doorway to some of the other attributes. I mean, if you are humble, you are open-minded. If you are humble, you are um, adaptable. Um, if you are humble, you, you're more resilient. Um, and so, and so you're more authentic, you're more selfless. I mean, so, so humility can be a doorway, a gateway to some of these other ones as well. So, um, again, because if you're, if you feel like you've arrived, no one's got anything for you and you got nothing for yourself. I mean, there's, there's nowhere else you can go. I mean, arrival means I'm there. I got nowhere else. I'm done, <laughs> you know? Right. And anybody who's done stay away from because <laughs> oh that means gosh. usually dead. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it come, and it kind of goes back to that fixed mindset versus the growth mindset, yeah. right? There's yeah. always something to learn from a failure, from a challenge, you know, from discomfort, from fear, yeah. maybe for, from uncertainty, there's always something to learn. And that humility, I think, is kind of that basis. But you talked about humor, too. And I just find that to be really, really important. You know, when we're going through stress, when we're, you know, first striving for big things. And I love how you tied that narcissism 
to that humility and how that can, these can serve each other in terms of, all right, well, I set on this path because I had a big vision for what I wanted to create. Perhaps there are other things that are outside of me, but maybe there's something that does serve humanity from a little bit of narcissism. But as you're going, as you're playing at the highest level, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be extreme stress. There's going to be doubt, fear, uncertainty, what have you. So you talk about humor as being something that really can help us develop sort of longevity and grit because especially in real estate or anything worth doing, in my opinion, takes a long time. So is there any other comments that you'd make on, on humor and the importance there? Yeah. So, so uh, during SEAL training, they do something called surf torture. Okay. And, and this, this evolution is that is when they basically have you lock arms as trainees, you walk out into the surf zone until about knee high or so. And then you lay back in the surf zone and, um, and the waves crash over you and then they recede and they crash over you and they recede. This is Southern California. So anybody who's been in Southern California really knows the water is actually cold and we did ours in November. So it's like, you're talking about 50 degree water somewhere in there. It's one of the most freezing, it's one of those cold things you could do. All right. And we get a lot of people quitting during that evolution because they keep you in there for what seems like hours. Oftentimes during the evolution, and it happened when I was in, and I can remember this happening to us, is the instructor will drive a van up on the beach and they'll get out, he'll get out with a megaphone and say, hey, I've got hot chocolate, donuts, and warm blankets for anybody who wants to quit right now. Okay? <laughs> kind of like a survivor moment. Um, and you get a lot of people quitting. I remember that happening to me when we were in the surf zone and, and the guy to my right um, immediately piped up and he said, hey, do you have any chocolate glazed donuts? Cause if you don't have any chocolate glazed donuts, I'm not quitting. Okay. <laughs> and I remember him saying that. And when he said that I burst out laughing and he was laughing too. And I knew in that moment I would make it. I'd be okay. Okay. I looked to my left, the guy to my left, he's stone faced. He didn't even hear the joke. He's lost in his pain. And I remember thinking this guy's not going to make it. And sure enough, in a couple of minutes, he'd quit. So what does that tell us? Laughing is actually um, extraordinarily powerful neurobiologically because when we laugh, first of all, it's involuntary, okay? Um, we can't control it, it just happens. When it, when, we do, when it does happen, we get flooded with three, again, three chemicals, two neurotransmitters and one hormone. Dopamine, which we've already talked about, very powerful neurotransmitter that says, hey, this is good, keep going, okay? We get flooded with endorphins, which is the humans, the human beings, the human body's opiates. Okay. It masks, endorphins mask our physical pain. This is what happens when we get runner's high. Um, after, you know, you get a runner's high, if you're working out, you start feeling great. Our, that's our body flooding with opiates saying, hey, keep going. We're endurance creatures. It was designed to keep us going. So you get flooded with, the, uh, with endorphins. And then you also get oxytocin, which is, hey, I'm bonding with you. I'm connected. All right. So, so in that laugh, what happened was I was freezing in the surf zone. I laughed. Okay. Suddenly my brain and my body and my chemistry was saying, this is okay. Keep doing it. Right. This is good. The endorphins are saying, this doesn't feel that bad. And then the oxytocin was saying, hey, you and this guy are in it together. We're bonded. Right. It can be, humor can be an incredible hack into courage, into perseverance, into adaptability, into grit. This is why you hear cancer patients who say, you know, I was going through it and I decided I was just going to watch funny movies every day, right? And that's how I got through because laughing is so powerful. So laughing makes us feel good and it's not just feel good, feel good. It literally makes us feel good like, like biolog bio uh, biologically and that's how important it is. So maybe Jim Balvano was really onto something when he said we need to laugh every day, spend some time in laughter every single day. Yeah, I tell you, I mean, that, 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 and gratitude, I think if you do those two things, you're, you're in a great place. So that's awesome. Well, you know, I just, I just find your work to be so important in terms of identifying and really understanding and having an awareness 
on you know these 25 hidden drivers of optimal performance and so when you think about you know attributes and you think about all right where are we showing up right now how how would you suggest folks you know kind of go down that long path of all right well let's train these attributes let's make some improvements so that we can set ourselves up for optimal performance yeah. Um, okay. So first, I think we 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 need to get, circle back here because I I said I'd talk about optimal performance. And I didn't, but uh, and we, so we need to make the distinction. And and you admitted you've been guilty of using peak performance. I have too. So we're in the same boat. Okay. And and it's kind of a common phrase right now. Everybody wants to do peak. Everybody wants to peak, have peak performance. Peak. 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 You know, as much as they can, as much as possible. The problem with peak and the reason why I disagreed with people when they said you seals are the best peak performers out there is that peak is an apex. That's all it is. It's an apex from which you can only come down. Okay. Peak performance often has to be planned for and prepared for and scheduled. Okay. The, the, the professional football player spends his entire week p- uh, planning and scheduling, preparing to peak for three hours on Sunday, as does the Olympian at the, the Olympian, right? The athlete does for four years so that they can peak for that moment. Okay. Nothing wrong with it. And business folks can do this too. If you have something that you are looking forward to a sales pitch, a, a presentation or whatever, a, a a talk, you can plan and try to schedule peak performance. However, um, it's unrealistic all the time. Um, and so I talk about optimal performance because that's really what SEALs do. And that's what most of us should do. Optimal performance is how can I do the very best in the moment, whatever the best looks like in the moment. Okay. Sometimes the best looks like peak. All right. It looks like flow states and everything's clicking and everything's going. Sometimes the best looks like, Hey, I am just head down and I'm grinding this out. I'm all I can, all I have in me right now is to go step by step. And that's all I'm going to do. Um, this is how, you know, I realized, you know, I think about seal training that, you know, in the, there was nothing peak about my performance in seal train in the surf zone and surf torture, right? Combat can be like this, but all of us can kind of think about 2020. Okay. I, I guarantee most of us on, uh, when we got slapped with a quarantine overnight. Okay. And they said, Hey, stay home. Don't go anywhere. Very few, if any of us, were operating at what we call peak performance, okay? We were doing the best we could in the moment. So optimal performance allows us to understand in a healthy and realistic way the modulation of our energy states. Um, because if I'm driving to the grocery store, I don't have to be peak, okay? I just don't. <laughs> you know, I can I can use that time to dial it back. If, if peak is 10, I can be at a level four, you know, driving to the grocery store. And so it allows us to understand modulation, understand where you can implement recovery, um, where you can go slower and, and it also allows us to pat ourselves on the back and celebrate ourselves when we actually are grinding it through and there's nothing pretty about it. It's ugly, it's dirty, it's muddy, it sucks, but we are making it through. We're going step by step. That is optimal performance and we should feel good about doing that. So that, so, so these attributes help us in overall optimal performance in any situation in life, especially during challenge, uncertainty and stress. You know what it, it also reminds me of? It's like driving a car, right? Driving a vehicle. You're going to have to shift down at some point. It's not yeah. You're always, always going to be in first gear. You're going to burn out the engine. So talking about understanding that you can lean into those moments where it's just like, Hey, this is the best I got right now. And and understanding that we're not designed to be in peak performance 24 seven. That's right. That's right. And so to, to kind of uh, hit the second part of your question, this is, it's a, it's a distinction we all have to make because I'm, I'm really convinced. And I, so I would say, you know, so I would agree with you that we're limitless. Okay. However, I've put, I've put some context around that term because I am into semantics. I would define us as, you know, we're all humans, okay? And that's something we all have to remember, especially nowadays, okay? We're all human beings. However, we're also, if we were, we're, we're also different, okay? So so every every car on the road is an automobile of some sort, okay? Some are Jeeps, you know, some are Ferraris, some are SUVs, okay? Um, here's the thing, if we're a Jeep, right? 
um, it's, you know, it, there's no judgment because the Jeep can do things the Ferrari can't do and the Ferrari can do things the Jeep can't do. The key is, I think, to understand our limitlessness is to figure out first what our engine looks like, okay? Because if we're a Jeep trying to run on a Ferrari track, it's probably not going to go very well, or there's a lot of changes you're going to have to make to make be able to do that, or to, to kind of roll that road. So, so I think part of being limitless and part of optimal performance and part of seeking our potential is understanding first who we are, kind of the introspection, self awareness that you had uh, mentioned before, so that we can understand our engines. You know, when it comes to attributes, we all are born with all of the attributes. Okay. The difference in each one of us are the are the are the levels to which we have each. Right. So, for example. If uh, if on if on adaptability, okay, level ten is highest and level one is lowest. Um, if if I'm a level eight on adaptability, which means when the when the environment changes around me without my control, it's fairly easy for me to shift and and flow. I can go with the flow very easily. Okay, that's a level eight. All right, someone else might be a level three, which means when the environment changes around them without their control, it's very it's kind of difficult for them to adapt and and shift. They're still adaptable. It's just more difficult. So. So each of us have to understand that we are all, if you were to line these attributes up on a, on a wall as if they were dimmer switches, okay, and position each switch at the levels you are, all of our, all of our contours are going to look a little different, okay? So we have to understand that about ourselves. And then we have to ask ourselves, ask ourselves okay, which are the ones, if I'm low on, do I want to develop? You don't have to develop all of them. Your job, your 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 position, whatever you're doing in life might not require you to develop a, a particular attribute. I mean, a, a, um, a stand-up comic doesn't necessarily need to have a lot of the leadership attributes, okay? That's a self-directed profession, okay? not, not leading that many, okay? Um, so understand which ones you want to develop. You can develop attributes, you just can't do it the same way you can train a skill, okay? Uh, to, you know, and so in other words, so, so a quick back-of-the-envelope test uh, to, to let you know whether or not it's an attribute or a skill would to ask yourself this question. Can I, tr can I be trained to do it or can I train someone else to do it? Okay. If the answer is yes, it's probably a skill. If it's the answer is no, it's probably an attribute. So an example would be, Tyler, you say, hey, I want to learn how to shoot a gun and hit a bullseye. Okay. Well, I could take you out to a range and do that and I could teach you in three hours how to hit a bullseye, right? That's a skill. Okay. Maybe, Tyler, you say, hey, Rich, I want to, I want to develop my patience. I want to be more patient. Well, I can't sit you, sit you down in a class and teach you patience. Okay. Attributes have to be self-motivated, self-directed, and then have to, it takes a willingness of that individual to, to deliberately place themselves into environments of discomfort that test and develop that particular attribute. So you would, in the patient's case, have to say, okay, I'm going to now place myself deliberately into environments that test my patience so that I might develop it, right? So we can develop attributes, it's just a little harder to do, and it's, it takes our own, our own fruition. Rich, this is such a good conversation. And the reason why I love it so much is because, you know, the awareness that you are generating through your, you know, your study, you know, not only your own introspection, but observing so many other optimal performers, you know, and as Navy SEALs and so on and so forth. And also all the people that you serve in business now. I just think it's so fascinating because now people can have more of an awareness of, hey, where am I showing up? And then develop perhaps that inner motivation towards striving to improve their patience or improve their resiliency or their adaptability. I just I think that's so important. And I truly believe that personal growth is really the separator towards living a life you know, of your dreams or living a life, you know, that's a, a nightmare in some ways. And so I think that's really, really powerful. One thing that I know you touch on a lot is recovery and, and how important recovery is. Could you talk a little bit about maybe some, some, some suggestions that you might have for folks who really want to live a life of optimal performance? 
Yeah, um, absolutely. So recovery is it's hugely important. We have to understand that at, that anytime we go under, anytime we're subjected to stress challenge or anxiety or anything tough, right? Our body goes through stress. Um, our body goes through. I say I just use the word twice, but our body goes through chemical um, uh, agitation. Okay, cortisol is produced, and our body kind of gets ready for and and kind of is in action and does things. Um, and and the only way to effectively um, rebuild, okay, and recover is to recover. <laughs> you know, I mean, um, this is so, so the example, we all know this, it, it kind of uh, viscerally, because any of us who go to the gym and lift weights understand that when you go to the gym and you lift weights, you are literally tearing the muscle apart. That's what you're doing. When I lift a weight, I'm tearing my muscles apart. The only way I'm going to make that muscle grow bigger is if I stop tearing that muscle, I tear it, and then I rest for a period to allow that muscle to repair and it grows bigger in the river hair process. Okay. The same thing goes with us physiologically as well. Um, we have to understand that recovery and the ability to kind of reset and reflect um, is necessary for all growth after any type of challenge, stress, or uncertainty. Um, oftentimes, especially top performers, truncate or skip this process altogether because the because the the act of of pushing through right the act of achievement is a is a dopamine hit in of itself right it's such a high it's like okay cool i did it what's the next thing right well this is a, this is this uh, you know a lot of seals are guilty of this is that they they we didn't we weren't effectively understanding recovery because we're just so we're such so type a kind of just make it happen right but when you do that, if you don't recover properly, you, you, your body, your system slowly falls into entropy. And so, and so recovery from a real simple perspective, I mean, people can meditate, you know, you know, sleep is the number one way to recover, by the way, that's the number one, that's, a, that's nature's way of recovering us. So deep sleep um, and effective sleep, good sleep is really the best time. You know, you can also do meditation. Um, you can also do um, any type of calming activity, but really any activity that brings you joy and peace um, also recovers you because when you, when, because our emotions also create chemicals. And when we're in a joyous or peaceful or content state, we're actually creating DHEA versus cortisol. DHEA is there is the recovery chemical that our body creates that rebuilds and repairs the testosterone, the estrogen and, and, and repairs some of the, some of the damage that the cortisol may have done. All right. So, so it's really up to the individual to decide what those activities are. Okay, it could be reading, it could be going to church, it could be singing, it could be you could go to the beach. I, you know, I have a tough time meditating, like sitting still and meditating. So I'll go for a run in the woods here in Virginia where I live, and I won't have any headphones. I won't tie myself. I'll be by myself. I don't pace myself. I just I just jog, and I just my mind goes blank and I clear out, and it's it's enormously recovering for me. Okay. And so, uh, same thing with hanging with my kids or hanging with my family or being with my wife. Okay. So, so, um, so we have to just deliberately, um, choose those activities and, and put them into our schedules. This is what mental health is. I mean, at the end of the day, right. It's, it's finding those activities that allow you to rest and recovery and recover and kind of be in your own space. Um, and then the, the, the kind of, um, ancillary, uh, benefit of that um, is that you also, I find it to be a great time to to think and get new ideas, you know, to introspect, right? Because, um, you know, when I'm not staring at a computer screen or lost in my iPhone or doing whatever, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, 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 I'm in my head asking myself questions. I'm, I'm analyzing things. I'm, I'm running through scenarios. I'm visualizing, I'm daydreaming. Those are all really healthy activities that can be very powerful in any recovery or mental health process.
Yeah, I think a lot of high performers, you know, sometimes feel guilty when they take recovery. And it's, it's really settling to know that, you know, we need to prioritize recovery. And so that when we do, that's actually helping us leap, you know, to the next level and create yes. that next distinction and not only think and give yourself space to be creative and curious and learn and grow, but also, you know, to downshift and, and give yourself, you know, the, the ability to avoid that entropy, entropy as you, as you described it. So Rich, this is such a powerful discussion. I really, really appreciate you taking time to, to share your, your wisdom with Elevate Nation. This has been phenomenal. I want to transition into our rapid fire section. We call it sure. the rare air questionnaire. And obviously everything that you're about is about rare decisions. It's about, you know, not only being a little bit narcissistic and, and thinking about how can we, you know, create something great within our own lives, but also, you know, creating great distinctions and, you know, taking our life to the next level from an attribute st uh, standpoint. So Rich, I'd love to ask you a few questions now as a prolific author yourself. I see you've got many books behind you uh, and obviously being introspective, deep thinker and really thinking at the atomic level. I'm really curious, what are two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years? Um, I, um, I love Harari. So, you know, I, oh. I, I can't, you know, so I, yeah, I can't um, give one book, but all of his Harari stuff. And I, so I would say I love books that, that give me deeper information and even twists on concepts that I, that we all think we know about, but we don't, you know? Um, so Harari, I think is one of my favorites, uh, Nassim Tlaib, same thing, anti-fragile and black swan and things like that. Um, I think, um, uh, you know, a while back, you know, a book like Freakonomics, that's an older one, but uh, Freakonomics was one of those books. It just kind of, it, it, it turned things on its head a little bit. It's like, oh, I never thought about that way. So I, I love those types of, those types of books that kind of make you think in a different way and give you some, some cool anecdotes. Uh, that's what I try to focus on. But I also encourage people to, to read fiction as well. I don't read enough fiction. I was, I was a little bit egotistical about it uh, before because I was like, well, fiction can't help me. I should be reading real like nonfiction. But fiction and fantasy actually allows your brain to go off into spaces that you never thought they would. Right. And it gives you ideas. I mean, you know, I mean, how many how many technological evolutions or advancements have been made just because of Star Wars, the movie? You know, just because someone, some kid watched Star Wars and then when they grew up, they said, oh, I'm going to make this. And now we have this thing we use every day. So, so fantasy and fiction can be helpful too. Just, I would, or I would recommend don't, 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 just don't get lost in it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, so. I'm one, I'm with you 100%. I will tell you, Dave Asprey, Stephen Kotler, they both said the same thing on the podcast. They said, look, read more fiction and you look, success leaves clues. If you're yep. saying that as well, I want to challenge Elevate Nation to really, really pick up some fiction. I've been doing the same myself. I've been kind of challenging myself to really pivot in that direction. And, and it has opened up some new paradigms in the way I think. And I, I agree with you that, you know, the reason for reading books is about changing the way you think, right? And mm -hmm. opening your yeah. mind to new paradigms. I think it's so powerful. I love that. And by the way, I love all those authors as well. We'll put links in the show notes as well as a link to Rich's new book, uh, The Attributes as well. And Rich, I'd be curious, um, what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis outside of really what we've already talked about today? Um, gratitude. You know, I, I always remind myself to be grateful. Um, gratitude is the fastest way out of 
feeling bad. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I mean, because you're asking yourself a very deliberate question. You're forcing yourself to, to come up with reasons why you are happy and reason why you are good, why you're, why you're doing great reasons, why things are going well. Um, and that, and focus is everything, you know, um, where we, where we focus is where we head. Um, and so, um, so I try to be grat- uh, grateful. Um, I'm, you know, the pandemic for me, um, just being so being around me, having been retired now and I don't have to deploy and being with my family so much. I mean, I just, yeah, it's blissful. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And it's funny, my wife and I have a daily gratitude practice and there's days where we're in bad moods and she's like, well, what are you thankful for? And it's like, you know, you say, you're like, well, I'm thankful for the running water and I'm thankful for, you know, electricity. But then of course, after a little bit, it's like, okay, we have a lot to be thankful for. So let's get out of <laughs> oh, this. Bad we moods. actually do have running water. And we actually yeah. do have electricity, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So thank you for that. That's a great reminder for all of us to be grateful, no matter what we have going on. Rich, I'd love to know what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? Uh, I, I love to help people understand themselves so that they can understand how to walk to their own edges. It's a very subjective um, endeavor. Uh, but if you understand your own engine, if you understand where you where you excel and where you are a little bit more limited, but may, you know, might need a, you know, to work a little bit or just might need a little bit of effort, it allows you to then understand how you can um, ex- explore those things that 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 you are uncomfortable, step out into your discomfort, you know, out of your comfort zone and explore those edges is what I, I hope to help other people do. My friend, um, we absolutely explored the edges today. I just really am so grateful for our time together. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you share with share with Elevate Nation today? Uh, the one I, I, I will say, because I love it and I've used it my whole life is, um, you know, I'm always about being resolute in your outcome, but being flexible in your approach. Um, because, you need to know where you want to go, but it's never going to go the way you plan it to go. Um, and so you have to understand that it's going to be flexible. It's, you have to understand. This is where rock climbers, I believe, can teach us a lot. And I don't climb rocks because I don't like heights. But um, the rock climber stands on the side of that cliff and says, I'm going to the top of that. That's the outcome. Then he or she begins to climb. And uh, and as they climb, they are going to find knot holds and handholds. They don't know what those pathway really is. They kind of have a sense, but they're going to have to change as they go. And sometimes the best handhold or foothold is actually laterally is, is either, either lateral or to, or below them. Right. It's kind of over and down, which means sometimes in the pursuit of your overall objective, it'll feel like you're going away from your goal. OK. But just understand that that's probably because you're just getting a better position so that you can then get a better track up, you know, because that's going to happen, too. That is incredible advice, my friend. I just had to write that down. I might get that quote on my wall. Be resolute in your outcome, but flexible in your approach, my friend. Did I say that right, by the way? Yeah, yeah. That is outstanding. Rich, Davini, everybody, thank you so much for being on the show, Rich. We will put links in the show notes where everybody can find you. Of course, theattributes.com. You want to go check out the book, find it anywhere books are sold, as well as you can find Rich on LinkedIn, on Facebook, Instagram. We will put links in the show notes, but is there anywhere else where the listeners can engage with you further, Rich? That's a bad, that's a great place. And on the website, there's also some free assessment tools you can take for free and figure out where you stand on some of these attributes. Um, it give you a snapshot of where you can kind of do some more self-introspection. Absolutely. That's phenomenal. We will put a link in the show notes to the self-assessment as well. And Rich, until next time, my friend, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Tyler. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You bet.
Oh my goodness, Elevate Nation, what just happened? I just, I know that uh, the last quote there was a game changer. And that entire interview, I don't know about you, but I, I'm going to highly encourage you to re listen to the show. And I want you to identify what are your top three applicable key distinctions. And I say applicable because what are you going to apply to your life, your business, your attributes, your underlying attributes that can take you to the next level right now? What are you going to do? to take action. And who are you going to share this with? Because I think it's really, really important that we understand that it is about paying it forward. It is about having that abundance mindset. It is about understanding that we all have limitless potential. Once we have an understanding of our attributes and where we're showing up and how they're amplifying our skills, how they're amplifying who we truly are as human beings. So I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show. I want to encourage you to jot down your top three key distinctions, share this with a friend. As I mentioned, and at the end of the day, take massive action. So Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.